You're listening to Raising the Bar, a show that simplifies the complexities of law without boring you to sleep. I'm Divideep Chaturvedi and I'm a practicing lawyer and I'm sitting down with my friends who are experts in their respective areas of law. We will be talking about burning legal issues in a fun casual setting and indulge in what I like to call a living room discussion. Before we start, I wish to apologize for the sound quality which you will see will deteriorate in a while because this episode is being recorded on call. I hope to be able to sort this issue out as soon as possible. But for this particular episode, please bear with me. Welcome to the first episode of Raising the Bar. In today's episode, we're going to discuss the CAA, the NRC and the Foreigners Tribunals. I know a lot has already been said about it and you've heard enough. But what we are going to focus on in today's episode are the selectivism and constitutionality of CAA and the NRC, the challenges and practical difficulties in its implementation, and the legitimacy and functioning of the foreigners' tribunals about which not a lot has been spoken. Um, so this should be interesting. I have with me today uh, a very old and dear friend of mine, Mrinal Sharma. Mrinal and I go way back. Uh, she is a human rights lawyer. Currently, she works as policy advisor at Amnesty International India. Previously, she has worked with Commonwealth Human Rights Initiative and New York-based Refugee Solidarity Network. Her interests lie in migration, citizenship, criminology and justice reform. When not lawyering, which is very rare, she can be seen discussing dog politics with a 10-year-old tripod. That is her three-legged dog named Milk. Hi, and thank you for having me here. I can't wait to discuss uh, all the issues that you have just cited. So let's begin. Yeah. Hmm. So I wanted to talk to you about the CAA, NRC, and the selectivism that is there, uh, which is in, which seems inherent in these laws mm-hmm. to some and uh, not to the others. What, what is your take on that? Well, I think a lot has already been said about it, and uh, I completely echo the sentiment of uh, what uh, people have been saying. It's an extremely discriminatory act. It's uh, bigoted, if I could say. Uh, it completely runs on uh, uh, dividing uh, the communities, and uh, it's hateful. Um, I, I I believe that while this is the first time there has been any kind of effort made by any government to sort of uh, uh, to to have certain kind of laws on providing or granting refugee status, but I think the intention is different because it just doesn't make any sense to include six minority communities uh, and leaving out other minority communities. Uh, uh, from the criteria. We all know that, for instance, uh, the Rohingya Muslims who have uh, gotten the title of the world's worst persecuted community yeah. uh, is actually mm-hmm. uh, belongs to one of the neighboring countries, Myanmar. We know Sri Lankan Tamils who yeah. India has very open-heartedly accepted in terms of giving them refugee status. I think uh, the the highest population of Sri Lankan Tamils at this point in time is in India. 
but why are you including uh, excluding uh, sri lankan tamil so you know this or, or for that in uh, for that uh, matter the ahmadiyas or the hazaras or even the bihari muslims of bangladesh we see a lot of other minority communities uh, the question that uh, is raised by everyone and should actually be raised as well is that if you giving refugee status to six minority communities which includes hindus uh, parsis christians jains buddhists uh, then why not uh, 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 why not the other minority communities why can't just you make it minority community who fear persecution in their respective countries instead of uh, completely uh, identifying those communities saying that we have kind of uh, done our research that these are the only communities that are being uh, persecuted at this point in time which is untrue it's completely untrue right. so i think uh, the objective of the law uh the intention of the law and the rationale of the law needs to be clearly laid down by the ruling government which i don't think has been done uh if we read the objective of the act uh, the amendment act it does not say that uh, the aim is to provide shelter to refugee communities so i think uh, that is also an important point that we need to question uh, we need to uh, raise before the government yeah and in granting citizenship uh, uh, there are also these uh, article 14 concerns as to why uh, and how can there be preferential treatment for these specific religious minorities uh, to the exclusion of the others what about the tibetans who've already been here for exactly. so long uh, uh, the rohingyas you mentioned the tamils yeah. and of course the others well tibetans are definitely a part of it and tibetans thankfully to the supreme court judgment have gotten the right to citizenship but yes why the exclusion mm-hmm. of tibetans from this act uh, and it is definitely a violation of article 14 because uh, they do not uh, first of all they do not explain they do not uh, uh, they do not explain the fact that why these six communities are the ones that should be uh, classified yeah. separately for the granting of citizenship in india what is so special about them what uh, classifies them as a group and this is what we as you know in our legal terminology call as reasonable classification which is absolutely missing it's not just a violation of article 14 it is also a violation of article 21 because the amendment act also says that it exempts these communities from the application of foreigners uh, act of 1946 and the passport act which has which have penal provisions which means that illegal or irregular immigrants can actually be detained uh so these communities a citizenship act uh, uh, just does not give them citizenship but also exempts them uh, from any kind of detention which is good but what about the other communities why are they not being uh, exempted from detention uh, we know a lot of rohingya muslims in the political discourse there was in the political discourse there were the the narrative was that uh, they bringing back the concept of akhand bharat in some way which which is india how it was i don't know when but uh, probably a long way back uh, but i still don't see how afghanistan was a part of it and not myanmar but you know uh, you know there that's like i think this is exactly what uh, so even that for me does not hold as an argument yeah i i i mean yeah obviously like for the sake of an argument even if even if we accept this argument it, it it's a classic timothy snyder argument which he very clearly uh, attacked in his book called the tyranny which basically talks about yeah. which india are you talking about the india that we knew 
before india mm-hmm. got independent was the india that was uh, uh that was ruled by uh by, by the british before that there was a different kind of india so what kind of india are you talking about it's basically taking back you taking you back to the india which none of us actually have ever experienced first of all and second of all uh the kind of rights uh the kind of policies at that point in time uh, i really don't think any uh, indian at this point in time or any resident of india would like to live in a time where women were not treated equally or there was no aspiration for women to be treated equally uh they were uh, and which it even continues now there was intense caste discrimination and as it has been perpetuated over the years so this is really talking about you know it, it's classic brexit argument that we want to go back to the uk that it was but which uk the uk uh, which colonized multiple countries so i think there is this sense of blurring the lines uh for the sake of argument but in terms of practical application i really don't think there is any way we can justify this yeah and um so what about uh, what about the practical difficulties of implementing the the caa and the nrc where well, caa is not i don't know it people say that it does not really have any repercussions but then a combination of uh, caa and nrc hmm. uh is uh, alleged to be discriminatory or at least this is how it is being perceived what has been the experience in assam so far since you've worked on it yes uh, so amnesty international has taken out two reports uh uh so far two studies so far one has been on the detention centers uh that are there currently in assam and that house over 1000 uh, irregular migrants and the other one has been on the functioning of foreigners tribunals and how uh, the courts of india which includes the supreme court of india and the guwahati high court has been complicit in sort of perpetuating this discriminatory uh, procedure uh i think just to start with i'd like to say that uh even the citizenship act differentiates between how citizenship is granted in assam and the rest of the country if you really look at citizenship act there are three core landmarks yeah. which we can look at first is definitely the mm-hmm. partition of india uh the second is this yeah. um, 1986 amendment that uh, presented a cut off date for the residents of assam and proving their citizenship which is after anybody who came right. uh, after uh 1971 would be an irregular migrant and then there has been another amendment which i guess has now been uh extended to 2014 which is for the rest of the india cut off date yeah which is for the rest of india and it's specific india, yeah. and it is for specific countries and it uh, clearly talks about uh people coming from other countries and giving them uh this is the yes. now as you say that yes now this is now the fourth so one would be the citizenship amendment I'm sorry I missed that point a lot of people what they're saying about CAA is that it does not take away citizenship of any particular community from who's already an indian citizen mm-hmm. um what it does is that it uh, gives uh, a speedy process of uh, of attaining citizenship for these certain specified uh, minority communities and the other communities it is still open to them to to uh, to sort of become citizens of india by the the process that was already in place uh what do you have to say about that again it comes down to article 14 i guess because how what rationale is there to give them 
a separate and a more preferential treatment when it comes to attaining citizenship of this country well i think that's a completely wrong argument the citizenship act after the 2003 amendment does not provide uh, the privilege of citizenship to an irregular migrant it's as simple as that uh, this is the first time uh, that in 2003 uh, there was an amendment <clears throat> that talked about that if you were born in india but one of your parents was an irregular migrant or you were an irregular migrant you could right. not be granted citizenship yeah. of india and that has also been one of the reasons why a lot of sri lankan tamils have not been granted indian citizenship because most of them actually flee mm-hmm. and they enter india without any passport or visa uh, which basically yeah. turns them an irregular migrant in the eyes of law so what it really do yeah. what it re- what the citizenship amendment act really does is it's the first time that it's going to give clearly going to give irregular migrants the right to citizenship in india and the problem is not that it's not going to give other people citizenship uh, uh, in india the problem is that it might deprive other people of their citizenship that they have held very strongly to their heart uh, to their heart uh, so far uh, let me give you an example um, i think this is also not something that i am saying this is also something that uh, uh many political leaders have said that uh even though now it's been temporarily shifted the national register of citizens but it is clearly been linked by the political leaders saying that the caa and nrc will go hand in hand in fact uh, uh in the winter yeah. session of the parliament amit shah made this statement saying that we will do an nrc and nobody has to be worried about it because we will bring caa and uh, all the the hindus do not have to worry about it so it is as clear as it gets mm-hmm. uh, uh it is as clear as it gets and that's why when you have we are looking at these multiple pro- processes that the government is is, in, is instituting yeah. right now where you might not be deprived of your citizenship now for instance a national registers of a national register of citizenship uh, of citizens does not really deprive you of your citizenship but it really casts doubts yeah. on your citizenship now what caa will do is that any person who belongs to any of the six communities mentioned in the act it will give them the yeah. opportunity to uh, seek citizenship under the citizenship amendment act but it will not give the opportunity to other communities the communities that have been left out for instance uh, muslims it will not give them an opportunity yeah. so for instance uh, in in assam as you had spoken about assam the nrc has already taken place and about 1.9 billion pe- million people have been excluded so out of those 1.9 right. million people the muslims will find it difficult to actually yeah. get citizenship under the citizenship amendment act and this is not me saying again the assam uh, finance minister himanta biswa sharma has already yeah. said this has already said that uh, about 5 lakh hindus will get citizenship under the citizenship right. amendment act so the intention of the law the intention of carrying out these exercises have already made very clear uh, even so the government that has spent about uh, uh uh about uh, 3000 crores on uh, conducting this nrc is not happy with it so i think the question that uh, yeah. the concerns that it uh, raises is that why are they not happy with it uh, why are they seeking re-verification right. and even after spending right. so much money if the government can actually come up and tell you that we are not happy with it what happens with the national register of citizens if they are not happy with the regist- if they are not happy with the wait has been conducted if they are not happy with the ultimate result uh, would the citizens of india again be asked to prove their citizenship to another body i mean this is really a long uh, uh, process an indefinite uh, never ending process where people are just going to be marginalized yeah. with every passing day and i'm also thinking what happens to the hindus even the hindus who end up uh, being uh, in the list of 
uh, being outside of the NRC. Let's say tomorrow if I I fall out of it and and I end up at a detention center, how do I save myself? Because uh, I will either have to lie and say that I am I belong to Pakistan or Bangladesh or Afghanistan, or I'll just have to spend my life in the detention center. Yes, uh, that uh, that 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 actually that's a very valid problem, uh, which I'm sure a lot of uh, Hindus that are currently in the detention center are facing. Uh, you might have to lie your way out; uh, otherwise, you might be yeah. in detention forever your life. Even though the Supreme Court uh, last year did come up with a judgment that said that anyone who has been in these detention centers for more than three years can be released on bail, yeah. uh, but it put the conditions. Uh, there were really stringent conditions for you being for you right. being granted bail one of that was that you have to provide a security of a lakh uh, a surety of a lakh True. so now we're talking about people yeah. who really do not have money to even uh, fund uh, to get their lawyers uh, which may help who yeah. may help them uh, you know get their citizenship back and you're asking them to give uh, a lakh worth of surety to get out so this is really a double whammy for them so a lot of people might end up yeah. being stateless and india is not a party to the statelessness convention so i am not sure how india is going to treat these people who are not going to have any rights because yes. the right to citizenship is really the right to have rights all your other rights be it right to education right to healthcare uh, every yeah. uh, everything kind of originates from your right to citizenship so you're really looking at a life where you would have no rights you would be living in a state of limbo uh which could either be living yeah. in detention you can't be deported you can't be deported because the other countries won't accept them so for instance um, uh, in a foreigners tribunal uh, in assam about 100000 people have been declared foreigners just to give you an idea and only four of them have been deported so far so uh yeah. so this really i think i think the number is five now uh I'm not too sure. Yeah, four or five, whatever. It doesn't matter. It's four. I mean, there are um, a lot of people who get deported back, but uh, these are the people who uh, accept that they're Bangladeshis. These, yeah. You know, these are the people who basically get arrested right. under Section 14 of the Foreigners Act for either overstaying their visa right. or entering without a visa. So I'm yeah. just saying that, uh, and yeah. again and again, if we remember what Jay Shankar said last year when he was meeting the ministers at Bangladesh, he made it very clear that uh, NRC is an internal matter, and Bangladesh doesn't have it doesn't have to worry about all of these things. So I think. it has been made clear that these people will not be will not be going anywhere they would literally be living a life in prison even if they are out of detention centers which is a, but it is a life in prison because you won't have the right to move freely you won't have the right to express yourself yeah. freely so how will a person establish that he or she is persecuted how will a person show that a person from one of the prescribed countries because most of the people who flee um do not belong to the i mean do not come with their documents or anything uh, we have the example of the sri lankan tamil who came who just fled overnight mm-hmm. um what happens to those people how do they establish their persecution and their identity as immigrants from these specific countries so until now for instance uh uh it was the ministry of home affairs that was looking at uh, whether you are persecuted or not but as far as the caa is concerned the government hasn't really laid down any kind of regulations or rules when it comes to how the person is going to prove that he's been persecuted uh in the lack of any rules and regulations it's just really difficult to say what's going to really happen uh we're looking at complete uh, complete disarray if i might say so because there are actually no uh, written 
there's no written guidance in the in in a way like how they're going to prove that they're being persecuted how they even going to prove that they are from uh, bangladesh or they were being uh, uh, they are being uh, persecuted there for instance i'll give you an example in fact it's not not just that if you really look at foreigners tribunals uh, or if you really look at nrc the people who are excluded from the nrc they're definitely going to go and say that they're indian citizens they might uh, submit affidavits saying that they are indian citizens and they might be excluded because the administrative bodies or the bureaucratic procedures might not think that the documents they have are valid so now the same people who produced an affidavit sometime back saying that they are indian citizens now will go before uh, the designated authority and say that we are persecuted bangladeshis or we are persecuted afghans or we are persecuted uh, uh, pakistani uh so it's just it just gives you a, a sense of understanding in the way that how this is going to lead to complete anarchy because there's absolutely no guidance given as of now yeah well um yeah so i think we should talk about foreigners tribunals as well before we leave mm-hmm. um so the foreigners tribunal as the constitution of india as originally adopted did not have any mention of these tribunals uh the provisions regarding tribunals were inserted into the constitution in the 42nd amendment which came in 1976 and even then there was no sign of tribunals to determine citizenship yes uh it was only uh, under the uh, foreigners act of 1946 which is actually a colonial legislation the tribunals were established and these foreigner tribunals were established uh, by an order of the ministry of home affairs in 1964 yes so there's no legislative scheme by which uh, this these tribunals have come to be established uh, but by an executive order Uh, does that raise any legitimacy concerns according to you as far as these tribunals are concerned absolutely foreigners tribunals are the only tribunals in the country uh, formed by an executive body which performs semi judicial functions uh, as you very rightly said yes. the constitution so it is important yes yeah. go ahead it is i think it is important for people to know that uh, the tribunals which were where there is a presumption against against citizenship um the tribunals which will determine or adjudicate upon that are not legitimately established through an act of the parliament or any legislative act but by an executive order yes yes i mean we should underline yeah. it and bold it and put it in italics because uh, very rightly yeah. said the constitution of india uh, lays this down under article 323b uh, which says that the legislature yeah. may create a tribunal by an appropriate law Uh, for the adjudication of a trial right. of any dispute uh and it lists down those disputes like what could be those disputes complaints or offenses what could be the themes and citizenship is not one of those things it is not uh, yeah. uh it is not laid down in the constitution they did not think that citiz- the constitution uh, drafters did not think that citizenship was an issue that was or that could be decided by a tribunal but even now but even then right. we see as you said that the ministry of home affairs passed an executive order under the foreigners act of 14 uh, 1946 in 1964 and yeah. uh, it uh, created the foreigners tribunal order the foreigners tribunals uh, were not active in assam until 
even uh, they were co- okay. instituted in uh, 1964 but until 2005 they weren't the tribunals that were actually looking at uh, the determination of citizenship these were other tribunals that were called the illegal migrant determination tribunal uh that were that came okay. about after the assam accord was signed in 1986 and they were the ones who were really looking at the determination of citizenship and they followed yeah. the procedure of being passed by a legislature it was a central act and that's how it was but only applicable for the time being in uh, assam they had quite a lot of procedures for instance only uh, a retired uh, uh, uh district uh, judge or anybody with a judicial uh, experience could be uh, the uh, yeah. could be the member there was a completely uh, there was an extensive uh, procedure as to how border police could make a reference against a person and bring them before a tribunal but in 2005 uh, sarbananda sonowal who is now the chief minister of assam actually uh, filed a petition before the supreme yeah. court saying that the imdt is unlawful because it I... discriminates against the people of assam while the rest of the country right. uh, is uh, uh while the rest of the country is being governed by the foreigners act it's only assam that is governed by the imdd act which in fact is very bureaucratic this is what sarvananda sonowal said in his petition and is leading to a lot of delays uh and the supreme court uh, agreed to this and uh, prioritized the quickness of foreigners tribunals over the fairness of the imdd act and that's how the foreigners tribunals yeah. were repurposed to look at the determination yeah. of citizenship in 2005 before right. the nrc uh, nrc the the final draft of nrc was published last year in 31 august on 31st august uh, but before that also the foreigners tribunals uh, have been looking at various other uh, cases the one uh, uh, category of cases are the cases that are brought to them by the border police which are only present in assam as right. of now they're not really a police right. that has to be uh, that has to be deputed at border areas they could be anywhere in assam and they make references against people to the foreigners tribunal saying that we suspect such right. and such person to be a foreigner they don't even though it, the guwahati high court in one of the leading cases of state versus muslim mandal wrote down uh, or laid down a pretty extensive procedure uh, uh, on the basis of which border police could file uh, a reference but what we have noticed in practice is that the border police is not following any of those procedures they can suspect yeah. anybody uh, to be a foreigner and make a reference so that's one category and the other category is 1977 the election commission of india uh, conducted an intensive uh, uh, exercise of uh, reverifying the voters and it excluded yeah. some 200000 voters which are now called the doubtful voters so the doubtful voters in assam okay. also have to Uh, appear before the foreigners tribunal and prove that they are indeed indian citizens and all the people that i'm talking right. about are mostly the people who have been issued documents be it voter id card pan card passport even uh, and other kinds of land documents yeah. have been uh, uh, they have been issued these documents by government bodies but the border yeah. police but those are not adequate enough to but those are not adequate exactly and that's really what brings okay. to us that that's what brings to us brings us to the most important and core point of this entire exercise this entire nrc foreigners tribunal even caa it's all dependent on the kind of documentation you have and uh, yeah. i think a reality check for everybody is overdue because india has really pathetic condition or uh, condition of documentation in india 
there was if right. there is national family health survey that uh, comes uh, that is uh, published every uh, five years uh the yeah. last uh, that is published every 10, 10 years sorry so the last uh, national family health survey which was a 2006 national family health survey so that only 64% yeah. of the children had birth certificates which is the uh, which is really uh, the most important document you need to have to prove that you were actually born in yeah. india yeah not to cut you off but uh, um what about there are also these spelling mistakes in all these documents so i was coming to that. my own voter id uh my name was dina deep in that voter id and then it took me ages to get it correct i kept on sending applications and it finally got corrected no that's very true like uh my voter's id card still has a wrong date of birth it still has wrong date of birth yeah. my aadhar card had wrong I mean, details i had to go and get it changed and uh, we have seen this in foreigners tribunal for instance these minor right. details uh minors minor yeah. errors in our documents can actually yeah. uh, lead to the deprivation of your citizenship in one such case the fa- the name of the father right. was actually afair ali yeah. but it was misspelled by the mm. by the government official as afair ali so the difference was of a letter instead of p the <laughs> government official wrote f and that man does not have his indian citizenship as of now he has lost his indian citizenship oh, because the okay. foreigners tribunal did not believe that uh, the documents that he was producing actually believe uh, belong to his father and this is very common this is also really problematic for married women especially women who are married very young or widowed very young yeah uh, because uh, right. you know as a social class women are not treated really well and uh, we see uh, for yeah. instance i didn't have any uh, identity documents until i turned 80 uh before that i didn't have yeah. my passport also i think i i got my passport after i turned 20 the first time i had to go outside so and but we also know that child marriage or you know marrying before the age of 18 is very common in certain societies in india very common in assam as well so a lot of women in assam were able to prove their legacy to their husbands but they're not able to prove their legacy to their parents and what uh, this amendment okay. did in 1986 in assam was not that you have to prove that you were born in india you have to prove that either you yeah. were born in india before 1971 or your parents were born in india or came to india before 1971 so you actually have to prove your legacy you have to prove your ancestry to your parents which actually becomes yeah. a problem for a lot of married women who are married young because they don't have those kind of documents So uh, we saw in the NRC, for instance, there were news reports where they said that over sixty percent of the people who were excluded from the NRC from the draft NRC were married women, because they just did not have documents. Wow. So we are seeing gender discrimination in. Uh, that's quite alarming. That is. So that's that's a huge problem. Yeah. Yeah, you were asking something. Yeah. So, I, and what about the constitution of these tribunals? I mean, who are the members? Uh, do we know anything about uh, the tribunals in Assam? Who were members of these tribunals? What What was the constitution? So, foreigners tribunals. Yes, foreigners tribunals work in under in intense uh, secrecy. It's very difficult to get any information. Yeah. We have filed multiple RTIs and we haven't received any information. However, the uh, the mm-hmm. notification that called for the uh, recruitment of these tribunal members are available online uh, many notifications over the period of time you would find them on the uh, website of the guwahati high court and right. the people who are supposed to determine the citizenship of people 
uh, earlier they were supposed to be either for, uh, they were supposed to be of 45 years of age with over 10 years of legal experience with the understanding of foreigners issue in assam and its history uh, it has been diluted over right. a period of years e- even though it was not enough or sufficient or adequate uh, to begin with but it has been diluted uh, over a period of time for instance now it's just 35 years of age with 7 years of legal experience with again understanding of uh, uh foreigners issues and uh, history of assam the first time foreigners tribunals uh, yeah. members were actually uh, nominated or recruited only two of them had any had any kind of uh, judicial experience the rest of them were all lawyers but the the, the problem is that okay. you uh, you still have certain kind of like you have you have experience like for instance if i had to take you you have 7 years of experience but you've been practicing in the court the catch here is that it does not say that you have to have 7 years of practical experience if you enrolled yourself with the bar council of assam and the bar council of india 7 years back and you had not been working okay. you're probably running your own shop somewhere uh, you can still be eligible and you can still be recruited so, as a foreigner so not to member. not yeah not to cast aspersions on on their ability or or capability or competence but it is it, there is a danger that a lot of briefless lawyers may end up uh becoming members of these tribunals yes and i mean it's not really about casting excursions yeah. i mean even now even though i have been working on this area working in this area working on this yeah. issue i don't consider myself fit as of now to become uh to decide on somebody's citizenship on citizenship yes, yes i do not and uh, that's why there has to be a really high standard of uh, high standard of eligibility criteria that needs to be put the other problem is that uh, uh, the focus is not on the knowledge of citizenship laws or immigration laws of india the focus is on history of foreigners and uh, you know of the assam uh, the issues that assam has been facing this also becomes yeah. a problem that we have seen we actually were able to catch hold of one of the affidavits that were filed that were filed by that was filed by the assam government to the guwahati high court in a uh, ongoing petition which talked about which had basically mm-hmm. anybody who has uh, who has uh, declared somebody a foreigner in less than 10% of the cases uh, had maybe terminated written against their name and everybody who had uh, uh, declared foreigners in more than 10% of the cases were uh, asked to be their tenure was asked to be extended so we are also seeing this uh, indirect way of incentivizing incentivizing okay. uh, yeah it is of of uh, inducing uh, uh, it's it's not monetary inducement but it is some kind of inducement where you stand the risk of being uh, axed or terminated if you are not declaring people at a higher if you're not declaring people foreigners at a higher rate uh, even though uh, right. we actually have a very we have a practical we have a real case where this woman who probably had 10 documents uh, to show 10 different kinds of documents to show that she belonged oh, yeah. to that india that came in it was on the news recently no that she had about yes yeah, she 15 she had about 14 15 documents but uh, the that was a guwahati high court but this was one case of safina who basically had 10 documents starting from uh, her father's voter list 1961 voter list to other documents but uh, the foreigners tribunal openly said in the uh, in the tribunal that i don't care how many documents you have because you're a muslim you would not be given citizenship these are the kind of statements that are clearly yeah. uh, made in the tribunals before people 
Javeda Begum. Yes, this was another case. Uh, there are multiple yeah. cases. Like these are not. Uh, yes, these yeah, are not unique go, cases. Even, even, yeah, even before the High Court, she lost. Yes, she lost, and these are not unique cases. The Guwahati High Court just came up with a new judgment saying that. Voter ID card, PAN card, these are not valid proofs of citizenship. But the question is, what are valid proofs of citizenship? And you need to explain it to us yeah. before you go ahead. Uh, that's the biggest this problem. This woman even submitted the land revenue. Yes, she they even do. submitted land revenue. Even those were not enough. Yes, and a lot of people do actually submit land revenue yeah. documents because they do not have documents like, uh, you know, passport or PAN card because we're talking about women who are coming or men who are coming from really marginalized communities. So they would probably have their land revenue documents, uh, which they would try to, right. uh, or they would have documents being signed by their Gao Panchayat secretary saying that this person has been living here for the last 40 years. But even then, those documents yeah. are not considered adequate by the Guwahati High Court. And that's also one of the reasons that we are seeing that the Guwahati High Court and even the Supreme Court, these the courts have not really been doing the job that they're supposed to. Uh, one example that I'll give you is that foreigners tribunal are the only body. They're the final body that determine your citizenship. There is no right to appeal from there. So what people would do is they would file the writ, well, they would file a writ petition to the Guwahati High Court. It would be a writ of certiorari saying that you know you need to reconsider the uh, judgment of the foreigners tribunals. But the Guwahati High Court right. even narrowed down uh, the criteria for hearing a writ petition. It has made it very clear that it is not going to look at the facts or the merits of the case, which is extremely problematic because the foreigners tribunals is the is the only body that looks at the facts. Even before that, as I told right. you, the border police does not have, does not really look into, does not conduct any extensive uh, uh, study or does not conduct any extent, extensive in, investigation looking into whether a person has yeah. any kind of documents or not. Even if you are not present at your home, the two times border police came to your place, that is sufficient for border police to suspect you of being a foreigner. So we really. So would it mean that, uh, the, that the high court is taking the determination of facts from the, these foreigners' tribunals at its face value. Yes, it is. And not, not going any further into it. It is not. And it has been very, it's been made very clear in the case of state versus Muslim model, where they said that we're only going to look at cases where natural justice has not been upheld. For instance, the cases where ex parte orders have been filed, which means when the person was not present during the hearing. Those are the only kind of cases that the, case, the court really looks at. Uh, there are very few cases where the court has actually, uh, you know, they have said that we are not going to uphold what the foreigners tribunal has said. They have gone ahead and only validated what the foreigners tribunals have actually said. And if you look at the pattern of judgments, they're extremely regressive. So um, what, what about the procedure adopted by the foreigners tribunal? That is also one of the problems because uh, the because foreigners tribunal from what order, I From what yeah. I gather... Uh, from what I gather, there is, from what I gather, there is, uh, the procedure has to be decided by the members themselves. Yes, they have the power. So, yeah, so for, for just to give a simplified thing, the, the, the judges, so to say, in the foreigners tribunal will decide what the procedure will be that they will adopt. Um, so, but then there is no presumption of citizenship the presumption is in fact against citizenship uh, are they are they bound by uh, the the law of evidence or cpc or or any of the procedural uh, laws that are applicable to other proceedings in the country 
not at all uh, but the foreigners tribunal order itself uh, under clause 3 says that the tribunal members have the power to decide their own procedures so if we are looking at 100 foreigners tribunals each foreigners tribunal can mm-hmm. have its own procedure uh, it, they are not bound by cpc they are not bound by evidence act in fact there was one such case where the people who were uh, were supposed to prove their citizenship before foreigners tribunal were coming from far off places because you know they were registered there or their parents were registered there and they asked whether they can have the opportunity of transferring their case which is uh, something that's been uh, which is allowed under the cpc the civil procedure code. yeah the foreigners yeah. but the guwahati high court said that since foreigners tribunals are not bound by any kind of civil procedure code uh, we cannot allow you to transfer the case from one foreigners tribunal to another foreigners tribunal so this is a complete barrier to access to justice uh even 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 if you look at legal aid even if you look at lawyers it's a huge problem for them because you're talking about a different procedure in every different uh, uh, foreigners tribunal even for them yeah. to kind of deliver or uh, their services properly it's a huge problem for them because they really don't know what is the procedure of uh, uh, one foreigners tribunal which could be completely different from another foreigners tribunal and now the government is planning to uh, you know set up to, 200 more foreigners tribunals so they're going to be somewhere around 300 foreigners tribunals so all these 300 foreigners tribunals would have their own procedures would i mean the thing is whether they would have it or not that's a different thing but they definitely have the power which is a huge problem wow okay. it's a huge problem uh, the burden of proof that you talked about uh, this is actually a huge problem with this entire process it should have been the other way around it's the state who's trying to prove somebody as a non citizen Exactly. And therefore, in a certain yes, yeah. And as a law, as a fellow lawyer, I'm sure, like we all know that it's the party that makes a certain kind of assertion has to prove yes. uh, that that assertion is true. So technically, yeah. logically, it should be the state, it should be the government that should be proving that these people are not citizens. But that doesn't yes, happen because this is akin to this is akin to an accused being made to prove his innocence instead of the state being exactly. able to prosecute him properly. exactly which um, is a huge problem so i yeah this this is this is something that that i don't know i cannot fathom at all that's a huge problem and this burden of proof actually becomes a huge problem even when you look at the practical implications for instance if you don't have any documents you can bring right. the secretary of your gaon panchayat or where you're living to come and testify on your behalf that i know this person personally and uh, this person has been living here for the last 40 years i also knew this person's mother father brother sister however you have to bring yeah. that person on your own uh, uh, accord the government or uh, the foreigners tribunal will not pass any summon so you're really looking at uh, a situation where everybody who is living in that uh, in that panchayat area the gaon panchayat yeah. secretary may have to come and testify personally for all the people who are living there because so you the burden of proof is on you not only so besides other things you also need to get along with your sarpanch exactly this is a huge problem and this is what happens it happens it happens very often where the government chairman secretary will just tell you that i can't come i have work to do it's not my uh, civil duty it's not my responsibility to ensure that you are uh, accorded a fair trial it's the government's duty and we have seen that happening uh, in multiple cases especially in cases of women again because in the absence of documents women go to uh, government chairman secretaries and they ask them to sign documents but the kohati high court again yeah. in one of the cases said that we cannot uh, take these uh, 
take these documents as valid proof of citizenship and that's why we seeing a lot of women being excluded from any kind of uh, uh, lists any kind of registers any kind of citizenship privileges which is a huge problem uh, it is also against international law if i might say uh, say uh, say so so india is actually not going to hold the scrutiny of international law at all because it says that if a uh, deprivation or loss of citizenship may lead to somebody becoming stateless then the burden of proof is on the state to first of all prove that such and such person would not be uh, would not become stateless if we take away his citizenship the burden of proof would is also that the statelessness uh, convention so this was this is actually a statelessness convention but this was really uh, this was a report of the secretary general that came about in 2009 and 2012 you could look at it as general comments mm-hmm. which were really interpretation of the statelessness convention because of the lack of uh, no, I'm, i'm just thinking how do we make it applicable here because uh, we are not a party to the convention and would the un secretary general's uh, whatever statement uh, uh a part of it could that be considered as customary international law or is it just a general observation that must be adhered to by the countries i guess so uh, to this all flows from udhr article 15 and also iccpr that talks about that nobody should be deprived of their uh, citizenship or nationality arbitrarily Right. and so you don't need to be a party right. to the statelessness convention because india is already a party of the international covenant on civil and political yeah. rights and that's where the report of the secretary okay. general also flows so technically india is okay. obliged by uh, these reports that have come about on so, human rights so and arbitration in that case we are already in violation of these we are, uh, we, are we are absolutely in violation and not just that because uh, you already. Look, already and you look at it in this way uh, about 1000 people are already in detention because they have been proved uh, foreigners even though the burden of proof was was on them as a criminal lawyer obviously we all know uh, that when something can lead you to be detained the burden of proof should be on the state right. but that's not happening here True. the burden of proof is on the person to prove that uh, he's not a foreigner even though such a decision can lead to not just deprivation of nationality but also deprivation of liberty so we are looking at these multiple losses yeah. of rights but the burden of proof still remains on you this is absolute injustice and is there sufficient um, compliance with principles of natural justice uh, in the sense that are are these doubtful citizens provided uh, a statement or some sort of an indictment to show as to what the case is against them as to why their citizenship is being doubted or is it just even the the list of doubtful citizens is being is being created arbitrarily well on paper obviously because uh, the border police is supposed to go and give them a notice but in one of the parliamentary questions shashi tharoor had asked uh, the parliamentarians as to how many people have been declared foreigners on ex parte orders and over 60000 people right. in assam were declared uh, uh, foreigners even when they were not present in the hearing the foreigners tribunals declared yeah. them as foreigners even when they were not present in the hearing so this is absolute uh, in, this stands in absolute uh, violation of the principles of natural justice if you think of it mm-hmm. and uh, even when people we 
until now it's only now that the government has said that you know there is a right to legal aid they would be provided legal aid until then there was no legal aid as such so you didn't have lawyers people didn't know exactly what their rights are what they have to prove what documents are required so people they wouldn't be told that whether what is their date when is the next date of hearing a lot of people might not be able to come there because of lack of knowledge so the foreigners tribunals would actually just yeah. go ahead and render them foreigners so this was uh, right. this is against the principles of natural justice as we're seeing it so so if if we were to sum it up uh aapko notice aata hai uh border police se aur uske baad aap apni citizenship proof karne ka onus aapte hai aap jate hain foreigners tribunal jo ki ek aisi tribunal hai jo ki legitimately established nahi hai it only established by an executive order and not by a legislative act Um, उसके मेंबर्स ऐसे हैं जो कि सिर्फ लॉयर्स हैं हु हैव अबाउट सेवन इयर्स ऑफ एक्सपीरियंस दे डोंट हैव दे डोंट नीड टू हैव एनी जुडिशियल एक्सपीरियंस एज सच उस ट्राइब्यूनल का जो फैक्ट्स वो डिटरमिन करते हैं उन फैक्ट्स को हाई कोर्ट टेक्स इट ऑन इट्स फेस वैल्यू एंड डज नॉट सी द करेक्टनेस ऑफ इट और वहां तो उस ट्राइब्यूनल में भी जो आप कागज दिखाते हैं उसमें यह भी क्लियर नहीं है कि कागज क्या दिखाना है क्या नहीं दिखाना है जो नोटिस आपको मिला था उसमें कभी कहीं पे भी ग्राउंड्स नहीं लिखे हुए हैं कि आपको व्हाट इज द केस अगेंस्ट यू यू नेवर नो एंड उसके बाद जब आप स्टेटलेस डिक्लेयर होने वाले होते हैं तो आपको बचने के लिए आपके पास अगर आप हिंदू हैं तो हिंदू या वो जो पांच छह कम्युनिटीज के लोग हैं वो सिर्फ इस तरह से बच सकते हैं कि उन्हें झूठ बोलना पड़ेगा कि हम अफगानिस्तान पाकिस्तान या श्रीलंका या बांग्लादेश से आए हैं राइट असेसमेंट और अगर वो नहीं आप फिर भी अगर आप नहीं एस्टेब्लिश कर पाते अपनी सिटीजनशिप देन व्हाट वेयर डू दिस पीपल गो दे रिमेन स्टेटलेस एंड दे स्पेंड अबाउट थ्री इयर्स इन द डिटेंशन सेंटर यस दे कैन स्पेंड देयर लाइफ इन डिटेंशन करंटली देयर अबाउट सिक्स डिटेंशन सेंटर्स द अदर वन इज ऑन इट्स वे टू बीइंग बिल्ट द कैपेसिटी ऑफ दिस डिटेंशन सेंटर इज 3000 पीपल you are not supposed to be in detention for more than 3 years but if you cannot fulfill the conditions you would inevitably be in detention so you're looking at for, a situation all their lives yes it's basically poverty you know i mean it's basically a double whammy you are inside because you're poor yeah. you cannot come out because you're poor right that's the situation we are looking at right now uh if not people might stay outside but without any rights All right. So, what is the way forward from here, according to you? Uh, where do you see this going? Do you see this being taken back, or do you see these being amended? Uh, 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 I think the way forward, uh, we should. It's it's non-negotiable. We should definitely call for the repeal of the Foreigners Tribunal order to begin with. We should definitely call for the repeal of the CAA. We should say that the NPR and NRC mm-hmm. should not happen. considering the reality of documentation in india and generally the amount of money that is going to be spent the nrc yeah. in assam spent about 3000 crores the government spent that the people in assam according to a research showed that they spent somewhere around 8000 crores in total 
and now the government is saying that they are yeah. not happy with the results uh the npr which is going to be conducted right now the government is saying they're going to spend another 3000 crores on that besides the census that's yeah. again going to be somewhere around 7000 crores so we are talking about taxpayers money as well when the government is not sure what they want to do with it when the government when this entire also, thing is extremely discriminatory i'm thinking after the yeah after the privacy judgment of the supreme court mm-hmm. uh would it be proper for the state to ask me my religion and am i obliged to give them details about my faith oh uh, uh, that is another question that needs to be answered because the right to privacy uh, judgment basically talks about uh, even though it says the right to privacy is uh, a fundamental right but i'm not sure whether uh, yeah. giving your information not your documents but just giving your information in terms of yeah. your name and everything if that would be uh, i don't know i mean to be very honest well, i that, don't know that's fine but what about my my faith what what business does the state have to ask me what my faith is Well that's true I mean I what think about, you make a what, valid point it could be considered a violation of your right to privacy uh and I think NPR uh, even if it's being conducted it should be made totally voluntary why should, why should the state know what my faith is is, is there some policies that they're going to adopt uh, yes. on the basis of my faith um In fact, Victoria, you know, why I mean, are we even going so far know. we don't even have to go that far NPR does not have any legislative backing uh npr is only right. there in the citizenship rules specifically for Rule. nrc whereas the government is saying that they are doing an npr for welfare purposes and we don't see that a, a complete process can uh, come up just yeah. in the rules you know there is a separate act for census so we don't even have to go that far in terms right. of what all document or what all information you have to give for npr the very origin of npr itself uh can be challenged yeah. legally i personally feel that Yeah, I think we are only going to have to wait for the Supreme Court's judgment in all these petitions that have challenged the CAA. And well, I think we should try other strategies as well, other engagement strategies, and just looking. I think we should just tell everybody to go to their local MLAs, to their local MPs, ask them to not mm-hmm. uh, conduct NPR because the central government cannot do it on its own. It needs the help of the states. uh there should right. be a sense of consensus made on this saying that we will not conduct npr it's a lot of money right. there is no legal backing uh and the supreme can do whatever it's yeah. doing uh you know we're not saying that let's not do but we should also be ready to uh come up with different strategies yeah yes i also think that the supreme court should so- sort of expedite the hearings on these things because uh, yes it should of, uh, anxiousness in the in the, in the state right now uh i think uh, uh, there's a washington post actually recently uh, uh, it did an article i think today or yesterday did an article where people are running i mean they it is this entire announcement has created havoc these people are running yeah. pillar to post trying to get their documents because they're just not sure what the government wants so we are looking right. at complete disarray and if nothing right. the government should just clearly in simple lucid terms clarify its stand because there is a lot of fear mongering taking place in the state right now in the country right, right now yeah yes well i think that brings us to the end of the podcast uh, thank you for joining us minar thank, um, thank you for before, having me thank you for having me before you go i need to ask you uh, if you have any book or tv series or a movie or anything that you would recommend people to check out oh great uh okay uh yeah. 
that's an interesting question what should i recommend so i am reading this really heavy book right now but uh, it's a really important it it's called the uh, the age of surveillance capitalism by shashana zuboff she basically tells you about the ways you can keep yourself safe in uh, in 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 a uh, you know in a, in a state where we all are very dependent on internet and digital uh like the digital world is just like uh, out there uh, our entire identity is on the internet then how can you protect yourself better it's a very thick book but it's a, it's yeah. a really important book i think it really makes you well, smarter that should, that should be the new that should be the new holy text to live by i guess yes. today's day yes um, it's called it's called the age of surveillance capitalism yeah my recommendation would be uh black earth rising i don't know i mean it's an old series obviously uh, you like it obviously you like it because it's from international it's from, it's from 2018 <laughs> i i started watching it i started watching it in 2018 and then i gave up and then uh i picked it up again and uh it's quite engrossing it's about it prosecution of international wars and quite yes. interesting it's yes. on netflix why am i not surprised um Well, you'll be surprised about my other choices. Yes, definitely. I'm a huge Govinda fan as well. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. maybe next time I'll suggest some some Govinda movie. I mean, you know, if yeah. nothing works, we can all watch Curb <laughs> Your Enthusiasm. I think that's just a funny yeah. thing to watch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay. Thank you for joining me, Minal. Thank This you for having uh, me, Dev. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. Maybe uh, we'll we'll do another one sometime. Sure, and keep me posted on what's the yeah. other next uh, podcast you're gonna have. I'm gonna tune in and listen to all of that. I will. I will. Yeah. Take care. Yeah. Chalo. Thank you. Bye. Take care.